My name's Annie Young. I'm Professor of Nursing at Warwick Medical School. That's the University of Warwick in the UK. And I work half-time in clinical practice as a nurse in University Hospitals, Coventry and Warwickshire. Now, cancer care is extremely important in your work and you've presented this study, Select D. It's about venous thromboembolism. Can you tell me what was the big issue that you were looking at in this study? So as we know, recurrence of VTE in cancer patients is a major clinical issue. And with the advent of the DOACs, it's a direct oral anticoagulants, we were looking to see if they were better at prevention of recurrence of of VTE than the standard treatment, which of course is low molecular weight heparin. And that, that came from the CLOT trial in 2003. So the motivation for this was to avoid patients having to inject themselves daily, was it? Um, not really because um, we, we interviewed, we did a qualitative studs, sub-study and of course injections are inconvenient but, but we wanted to find out how inconvenient they were for patients as well so the motivation was to try and prevent recurrence of, of clots. And what were the emerging data that the DOAX might be a good alternative for low molecular weight heparin? So when we started this study, there were no randomised trials of DOAX versus low molecular weight heparin. So we were the first study to, to go um, with a comparison. Now remember, SELECT-D is a pilot study, so we were just assessing and not comparing differences. So the, so we were assessing the, diff, um, the, the recurrence rates at six months. And, and we, we had some safety data, but they were all from sub-studies of big VTE studies to say, that the DOACs were, were probably safe. These were not randomised data, but sub-studies. And there were only like 5% of patients in some of these big studies like Einstein VTE. And there's a lot of data from the world of cardiology, though, isn't there, in uh, atrial fibrillation. So what did you glean from that? So we, we looked at the meta-analysis of atrial fibrillation and we can look at to see the side effects of the DOACs, but that's the only um, kind of data we can take from the atrial fibrillation because cancer patients are a, a unique population and the, the pathology and everything is different with the, with the clots than atrial fibrillation. But it did give us some important um, um, trends and information on side effects of DOACs in the general population and those with atrial fibrillation. So can you tell me what you did in the study? Yes, so we randomised um uh, this is the six-month data I'm talking about. So we randomised between rivaroxaban, and that was at the standard doses. So so that was 15 milligrams twice a day for for three weeks, and then followed by 20 milligrams um, once a day after that for for six months. We randomised between rivaroxaban and daltaparin. So we we used the one low molecular weight heparin, even though it may have a class effect. We we used the one, and and that was at the clot study doses of delta pattern as well. So randomise one versus the other, one-to-one randomisation um, to, to look at the recurrence rates at, assess the recurrence rate at six months. And of course our major secondary endpoint um, was, was safety and um, bleeding. So two types of bleeding we looked at, major bleeding and clinically, clinically relevant non-major bleeding. 
what were the outcomes then? So the outcomes were that um, this, I'm going to say this again, but this was a pilot study and we were assessing this. So the, pilot, the, the outcomes were that we got 406 patients randomised in the study and we found that recurrence rates with the Delta Parin um, at six months were, were 11%. With Rivaroxaban, the recurrence rates were 4%. Now, we just put confidence intervals around that and didn't do odds ratios because of the pilot study study. So that was a big difference. So definitely we found that the rivaroxaban recurrence rates at six months were lower than deltaparin. There was a penalty to pay though in terms of bleeding, wasn't there? For sure, for sure. So so major bleeding at at six months was three percent in deltaparin and five percent on on rivaroxaban. And most of the major bleeds were gastrointestinal bleeds. So that's that's fairly major. Um, we the clinically relevant non-major bleeds were were three percent in in deltaparin, but twelve percent with the rivaroxaban. And these were mostly GI bleeds, gastrointestinal bleeds, and urological bleeds. So, so that was very much greater with rivaroxaban, and that's clinically relevant. And these are these are not not trivial bleeds. When you're talking about clinically relevant bleeds and major bleeds, what were the consequences, or what were likely to be the consequences? This was, of course, a pilot study. But uh, what's your feeling about this so far? So there was. Um, the, the the major bleeds um, definitely, definitely matter and we have to split the clinically relevant non-major bleeds into maybe um, 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 two categories and that's trivial and, and not trivial um, bleeds and we found that most of the urological bleeds in the clinically relevant non-major bleeds that we could do something about and it was it, we could do something quickly with the patients because they could pick up their hematuria very, very early early with the gastrointestinal bleeds they even though they were clinically relevant and not major um, these were more worrying and more concerning how life-threatening do you think these bleeds might have been so in the major, they are life-threatening. Um, in the um, in the clinically relevant non-major bleeding, they are not by vi- their very definition, they're not life-threatening. But but we have to just pay attention to them. Bearing in mind the fact that you had a big reduction in venous thromboembolism, what do you think is a kind of equation going on here? If you, if you don't, first of all, if you don't select patients and just take all comers at risk of VTE, how would you balance the risks and benefits of using the DOAC rather than injectable um, anticoagulation? So it's always a balance, always a balance with, with patients and, and prevention of recurrence of, of VTE. And what we would do is, um, you know, have a, a, a big discussion with the patient because patient choice comes into this as well. And so we have to tell them the data we have in, in patient-friendly language and then balance that with the individual patient. So I would avoid... Um, Patients, I would avoid giving DOAX to patients with big, bulky um, tumours um, of, of, say, the gastrointestinal tract because, because um, the, that's where the, the, the tumour was bleeding. You know, that's where the bleeding occurred. And maybe, and maybe um, that, that's, that's avoiding. And I would give DOAX um, 
on an individual basis, you know, weighing up the balances, I would consider DOACs for, for most of the other patients. What do you feel were the causes of the bleeds? The causes of the bleeds, I believe, are not the anticoagulants, but the actual the actual lesion, the actual tumour. So that's where the bleeding comes from, and not so much the anticoagulants, because nobody overdosed or anything on the anticoagulants. So it's it's the it's the lesion that bleeds. So you've got to think about um, whether they have a lesion in situ or or you know. So you have to weigh up the balance of the bleeding with with the size of the lesion, whether there is a lesion or not, and where the lesion is. Now, in your practice, how comfortable are you now considering uh, using rivaroxaban rather than dalteparin, low molecular weight heparin, for anticoagulation? So we are very comfortable with the proviso that we have this conversation and that we take a, a, a risk factor, a bleeding risk factor. We, we work out the bleeding risk for the patients and then we work out the, the risk of thrombosis and we ask the patient. So the discussion is with the patient as well and we are very comfortable in most settings to use direct oral anticoagulants because it's not just a select E trial, of course, but we have the data from the, the adults of the HOCUS cancer trial and the adoxaban trial and the results are extremely similar. What are your thoughts about compliance because there is an argument that uh, patients are more likely to comply with a pill once a day. Yes, we did. We looked at adherence and compliance, and we haven't published these results yet, but we will be publishing them in our 12-month data and our um, health economics data. So there is another paper coming out, and the adherence was surprisingly similar in both arms. So cancer patients um, do adhere and sometimes over-adhere to, to, to medications, but we did not find a difference in, the, in our in our service of patients between the, 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 the two treatments. Do you get the impression that this is a class effect and that any DOAC would be pretty good? Um, we know from our AF, our atrial fibrillation data, that that um, there are differences between the DOACs. So from our study, we can't see, of course. But if you look at the adoxaban results, they're very similar. But we've got to bear in mind that it may not be a class effect. And there are, there are pros and cons of um, GI bleeding, for example, um, um, which, is, which show different rates in the AF studies than, than our you know, VTE study. You've referred to the results with the doxaban with Dr. Gary Raskob also presenting at the American Society of Hematology. Um, what do you think about the uh, desirability of using rivaroxaban rather than edoxaban? Which would you go for? So I think we can't tell from our studies, absolutely not. And of course, you need a head-to-head study. And, and um, so they're both out there and, and we can use both at the moment. Um, I, don't, I think because we have the adoxaban study, we, we will not be carrying on from our pilot study to a full-blown study because we have enough data with both studies together. And, and I don't think we need to have a full Select D study as we were intending to do. Um, but I, I think you cannot choose just with these two studies between between the, the uh, between the tablets between the the medication. Would you go for studies looking at other DOACs then? I think a head-to-head study is too expensive and not possible to do. So I think we will be using the class effect, but we'll be bearing in mind the huge um, evidence that has 
emerged from um, studies rather like meta-analysis of atrial fibrillation studies and just looking at the differences in bleeding um, that's the one difference we will be looking at the, the bleeding with these studies as well. You mentioned that uh, bleeding is, is, is a big issue and particularly gastrointestinal tract bleeding. What do you think can be done to select patients? So the selection would be um, looking at the bleeding risk. And as I said before, it would be looking at the lesion and where the lesion is as well, where the tumour is, and, and looking at that. And, and, of course, you look at liver function and renal function and all that kind of stuff. You do that anyway. So selecting patients would be in the basis of of um, their tumour type and how big it is and stage of tumour, which we do anyway as well, and, and looking at other risk of bleeding that they may have. So could you paint me a picture of the uh, typical ideal patient for using a DOAC rather than low molecular weight heparin for anti-venous thromboembolism? So a typical, um, so breast cancer is not a thrombogenic tumour, but there are so many patients with breast cancers that we get a, a, a lot of, um, that breast cancer patients do, we get a lot of numbers in and breast cancers do clot. And um, so because it's not thrombogenic, because in the adjuvant setting it's um, eminently curable in, in 90% of folk nearly now, so folk that do get a clot, um, I would be, um, that that's a perfect picture you would be able to use a DOAC um, for for most breast cancer patients who had a clot and try to prevent recurrence of a clot. But colorectal cancer you might have a different view. No, I, I would I wouldn't rule it out at all and and even in the advanced setting, so for for adjuvant um, colorectal cancer patients you would um, think about that, weighing up the risks of the bleeding, what other factors there were there. But for advanced colorectal cancer patients I would be wary and I would discuss that with the patients, but I would not rule out um, using a DOAC in these cases. Overall, it sounds as if you're beginning to be a little bit bullish about using DOACs rather than low molecular weight heparin. Can you summarise what would be your clinical um, thoughts about this for practising physicians? So I'm not bullish at all about using DOACs, and we did not use DOACs. Um, in the UK, but it was creeping in, in in practice. In the States, of course, with their retrospective and prospective cohort studies and not randomised studies, they have many patients and it's it's all already in practice without the randomised evidence. So almost the, the randomised evidence is backing the, the, the clinicians who have used DOACs in, in the States and a few in the UK as well, but not at all bullish. And I think um, the the you know, in summary of the whole two studies, it's about individualised care and personalised care and weighing up um, the, the balance of the risks and benefits with the individual patient. So your overall thoughts about reservations about jumping in to use DOACs in this setting would be what? Would be definitely the, the risk of bleeding. So we think that DOACs are better at preventing recurrence of VTE, but the reservations would be um, where the lesion is and are they going to bleed. And could you give me a clinical bottom line message for busy cancer doctors then and cancer carers? Yeah, if you've got, uh, so this, this is really the bottom line and this is a gross generalisation, but if the patient has a large in-situ lesion, I would be using the standard treatment, the pre-standard treatment, um, which is low molecular weight heparin. And if the patient has no big um, lesion, I would be using DOACs.